We'll just uh, take a moment as the uh, offering buckets are going by, just quiet our hearts before God and prepare to hear some good news. If the bucket's gone by you, I just invite you to close your eyes. I want to I want to pray for a minute together as we were uh, worshiping. Happens to me often. Um, I get this uh, <laughs> this thing comes over me, and uh, I do what millions and millions of believers around the world will do today in churches all around the world when they hear the gospel of Jesus. And what they'll do is they'll make the sign of the cross on their foreheads and on their lips and over their hearts. And um, I find myself often just crossing myself in that way during worship. And the reason I do it is because I so not because I think it's magical, but because I so want the Lord to touch the mind that he's redeemed. And I so want the words that come out of my mouth to be words of redemption. And I so much want to walk out into the world with a heart redeemed by the cross of Jesus, filled with the love of Jesus for a world that needs it. So let's just uh, close our eyes. I'm going to pray, and then I'll give you the opportunity, if you like, just to make the sign of the cross with your thumb over your forehead and your mouth and your heart. God, we thank you that this uh, place this morning is filled with grace because it's filled with you. Jesus, it is in you that we live and we move and we have our being. And so we ask now, Lord, that you would uh, bring true redemption in our minds by what you did on the cross, that these lips would speak truth and truth alone, that would be life, true life. And in each and every heart here, that these hearts so filled with the love of Jesus, poured out by the Holy Spirit, that we could not help but allow ourselves to be thrust into the world in the river of God's love. So we ask for it, Lord. We know we can't do it on our own, but we know that the power of the Holy Spirit is present right here with us to walk as redeemed ones. And we pray that we can do that for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. There you go. I gave you new practice, all right? People will ask if you're Catholic everywhere you go. You know what Catholic means. Catholic means universal. The Catholic Church, in our creeds, we talk about being in the one holy Catholic Church. It's the universal church. I'm not talking about Roman Catholic. That's one part of it. But we are a part of that Catholic Church. We are a part of that one bride that God sees when he looks down on the earth. He sees not 87,000 million churches. He sees a bride, right? And we're a part of that universal bride. And that's a part of our joy walking into the world with other churches. Okay, that was the excursus. Come back to the main. Uh, This morning, I want to invite you to go on a journey of exploration. Uh, I'm a teacher, and my messages tend to be kind of teachy. I'm going to try to step out of teacher and turn into a provoker this morning. 
Because I think that often that's what the Holy Spirit does when we engage the Scripture and we take the Scripture in our lives and look at the world, we get provoked, right? Sometimes it provokes anger, frustration. But this morning, I want it to provoke in us a desire to take the next step with Jesus, whatever that means for us. Because we're going to declare some radical realities this morning, some things that are are mind-blowing, and you've heard them before probably, but you recognize that there's a gap between what you know and claim to be true and then what you actually live. You know that gap? A couple years ago, Jane and I were visiting our son in Ireland. He was doing a semester abroad. And every time we would get on a train in Ireland, they'd say with their really nice Irish brogues, which I won't try to do, you get on a train and they all, you'll hear over the loudspeaker, mind the gap. Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> the woman from Yorkshire. <laughs> it's, they, they, you hear over the loudspeaker, uh, the speaker. Mind the gap. What are they saying? You're on, you're, on the, um, you're on the platform and you're about to get on the train. And between the platform and the train is a little gap. And what they're saying is be careful. Watch out. Mind the gap. You, you're, you've, you've got to take a step and get onto a, a whole other uh, mode of transportation in life. Sometimes, and this just came to me over and over again this week. I, I just kept hearing mind the gap. Mind the gap. And to me, what the Lord was inviting us into was to recognize first, be aware there's a gap between what we know to be true, and we'll see it in the scripture, and what we live out. And often with that gap, we fill the gap with condemnation, right? Not doing it enough, blah, 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 you know, you know those words? Well, those can all go back to hell, okay? Because that's not helpful and true. Yeah, there is a gap between what we know to be true and what we're living, but Jesus is inviting us into a journey of walking through that gap. I mean, literally getting on to another mode of transportation and being taken in our relationships with God uh, in a way that we can't do under our own power. That's what we're called. That's what I'm inviting you to this morning. What if what the Bible says about me as a follower of Jesus is true? What if Jesus was, is, and will be all he claimed to be? What if the ramifications of my identification with him as a Christian are more extremely hopeful and in a mind-boggling way life-changing than I ever even dreamed of? You ever feel like, oh, I hope too much? I'm going to say, no, we hope too little. God wants so much more for us. And it is not a more that we can get by grasping. It's a more that we get by surrendering. Oh, goody, right? What we all love in America is just to let go. (laughs) No, it's countercultural. And it's supernatural. What if my current life Faith and feelings do not define God's declared dream for me. In other words, what if I'm not right now living in the fullness that I've been invited into? Actually, that's great news, isn't it? Because is anyone perfectly content with where they are spiritually? I'm not. Don't you just feel in your heart that, like, I think there's more? There's got to be. God, you're bigger than what I'm experiencing right now. We're beginning a series this morning called In Christ, and we're going to explore what the scripture says about those of us 
who have placed our faith in Jesus as not just the Savior of our souls, but the, the Lord and the King of our destinies. We, we, those are big words, right? But they have real implications for our lives. We're being invited into more. We walk on this kind of broken world in kind of our broken ways, and we walk around with a lot of questions. As a pastor, I hear these questions all the time. Well, why am I here? Well, who am I? Like identity, who am I really? What am I supposed to be doing here? Where am I headed in the future? Not just in my life, but like, you know, the future future. What happens after I die? And, and here's probably the question I hear more than anything, even though it's never stated explicitly like this. I hear this question. Is there any reason to believe it's really all going to be okay? And I think at the, at the bottom line in our culture, a, a grand question is, tell me a reason for hope. Give me some reason to say it's all going to be okay. I'm not looking for bumper sticker theology here. I mean, give me a solid reason, something I can bank on to say that it's going to be okay. Why are we the most anxious, addicted, guilt-driven, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, culture ever? Because we, we're wrestling with this question, is it really going to be okay? And we've got to figure out what to do to sort of arrange our lives so that it will be okay. Deep down knowing that we can't make it okay. So living out the reality of being found in Christ, in Christ, answers, I think, these deep questions. Now, in an eight-week series, we will probably not unravel the entire mysteries of the universe. But we will speak directly to these questions of identity and of destiny and of purpose and of hope. And and it's rooted in Jesus. It's all rooted in Jesus. Jesus. So I'm inviting you this morning to go on a journey with me, a journey of exploration, to search out the riches and the realities of what it means to be in Christ. So I'm going to put out a lot of scriptures this morning. I don't have notes for you, but uh, our notes always go right on the website with the message. And our transforming groups, which begin this week, uh, will all be going through these sermon series, taking the notes and asking deeper questions. So if you are not in a transforming group and have a desire to, to, to be in a group of people being changed in the presence of Jesus with other believers, then out in the lobby we've got a list of groups, 11 groups that are beginning or beginning again this week and just invite you to be a part of those. If, you've, if you can't find a group that fits you, I want you to come find me and we will make a group that fits you. That's my promise to you. Okay. I said that in Christ, being in Christ answers big questions, and one of those is the who am I, the identity question. And I want to take a few minutes and press into what it, how being in Christ speaks to us at the core of who we are, who am I in identity. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 5. I'm just going to be reading three verses, but to pull out your phones or your pads or whatever you need to look at the Bible or on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing. And this is God's word to us right here this morning. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. No longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God. And then there's, you see the, the dot, 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 because there are a couple other scriptures we'll get to in a few weeks. But I want to tie these together. This, all these are from God. We're a new creation. And then what does Paul say next? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, that is in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. If, if, if we just read it, you've heard it before, you think, yeah, that's really something. That's a really cool verse. That's like so, so awesome. Amazing. Wow. But the reality being declared by Paul is that when he came to Jesus, when he became in Christ, he, he got a, a brand new identity. He, he became a whole new person, a, a completely new creation. He wasn't reformed. He was recreated. Paul was a big reformer. He's like, yeah, I mean, he was a mean guy. Like, let's go at it. Let's make everyone do the stuff. Paul was not reformed by Jesus. Paul was recreated by Jesus. It's why later on in the, in the epistles, Paul will say, you know, I had a bunch of stuff going for me, and I just look at it all as, I won't say the actual word because I don't say those words, but let's just say excrement. That's what Paul said. All that stuff I had going for me, excrement, compared to being found in him. He said, that's all useless because it's about Jesus. So if you have given your life to Jesus, if at some point in your life you recognized your sin, you realized, okay, I can't do it on my own. I'm, I'm done for. I'm a goner. I, I don't know how to get, make my way to God, and I can't do this life perfectly. And you came to Jesus, and you recognized that the, the, the work of Jesus on the cross, the perfect life sacrificed, was given for you, and you said, Jesus, come in, save me, cleanse me, heal me, make me the person you want me to be, lead me, Jesus. If you've done that, then you are in Christ. I, I care about how you feel, but not that much. <laughs> I, I don't care if you feel like I'm in Christ. You may not be feeling very in Christy this morning. I had an encounter with, I'm not going to go into it, but just to let you know, I identify, I had an encounter with a person in an establishment in this city this morning, a few hours ago, and I was not feeling very in Christy. I felt very attacked. Like, yeah, I mean, it just was, I, it was out of the blue. It was a wild encounter. And I, and you know, a lot of not so in Christy feelings were coming up in me, Right. But, but my feelings do not lead my life. Jesus leads my life. And I am in him whether I feel like I'm in him or not. And I pray that this person will be found in him because they need him just as much as I do. So when you surrendered your life to Jesus, everything changed. And if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Period. Done. I'm not saying you always feel it or you live it out, but I'm telling you what's true about you today. You are a new person. You are not the person you were before you met Jesus. 
And I want to push you, I want to provoke you, urge you, exhort you, invite you, whatever word works for you. Challenge you. I won't shame you. That's the one thing I won't do. Into an exploration of what does it mean that I'm a new creation? I don't feel very new in a lot of places in my life. But what might it mean? What's Jesus inviting us into? To find the riches of this reality that is already yours in Jesus. Paul uses this phrase in Christ more than 160 times in his letters. The word Christian is found like two or three times in the Bible. We use that one all the time. This term in Christ 160 times just in Paul's letters. He uses in Christ that phrase 11 times in one sentence in Ephesians chapter 1. It's a long sentence. One sentence he says it. I mean, I'm not going to go there. It's pretty amazing. This is a big deal for Paul. For Paul, being in Christ is the defining reality of the Christian. Behavior is not the defining reality of the Christian for Paul. Behavior comes out of identity, right? You live out who you are and in, in some way as best you can. The defining reality for Paul is who are we in him It's being in Christ. It's the beginning, the purpose, the power, and the end of the Christian life. It's it's the whole deal. We're a new creation. We haven't been upgraded. (laughs) We've been changed. It's not like before we met Jesus, we were walking with a limp. Yeah, and then we went to rehab, and we straightened it out, and now we're all better. That Sometimes it feels like that. It's not true. We were dead, and now we're alive. Not just a change of bad habits or a new list of do's or don'ts. A radical, pervasive inner work in our spirits. We are fundamentally different. We, we have been changed. If you're feeling unchanged, I hope you're feeling provoked. Even anger is okay. Because underneath that is a deep desire, but I know there's more and I want it. When Paul says uh, there's a new creation, everything's gone and all things have become new, most commentators think that Paul's really giving a direct allusion to Revelation 21 and 22, where Paul, uh, where the Apostle John says there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. So a lot of commentators think that's what he was getting to. He was, he was pushing, you know, new creation. I mean, everything new. What might that mean? What that might mean is that the kingdom and the power and the glory of the future age, which we can only imagine in heaven, has actually come and showed up and infringed upon, broken into our lives in the present. Remember what Jesus said? The kingdom of God is. Does anyone remember? Yeah, the kingdom of God is in you. I mean, we don't, maybe we don't like to say it because it feels like I don't feel very kingdom any, right? It just doesn't feel that way. But the kingdom of God is within you. It goes further. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, not of ourselves, but in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Once again, we didn't just get a transfer from hell to heaven. 
We've been changed at our core so that we'll be fit for heaven. Sometimes it's easy to think, you know, I was going one way with my life and now I'm going another. Or maybe even you think, and I guess I even, I'm guilty, I sometimes say, hey, we're on the winning team. As if we were on one team, the devil's team or my own team or whatever team, and then God was looking around for a couple of good wide receivers and said, I'll take you and I'll take you and now I need a new quarterback, I'll take you, right? And he drafted us. And he sort of put us through a boot camp, gave us a new jersey, and like, hey, I'm on, the, I'm on the good team now, right? I mean, sometimes I think like that. It's not true. <laughs> I've not just been given a new jersey. I've been given a new self. I'm a new person in Jesus. I can run the 40 in a second. <laughs> I never miss passes. Now, I never do anything wrong. No, it's not true. This is what Paul is saying. You haven't just been drafted and reformed. You have been adopted and changed. Your identity is different. What would that mean if we could grab hold and begin to live as if that amazing truth was true? He made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become better people? No. The righteousness of God. You ever get up in the morning, (laughs) look in the mirror and say, right there, righteousness of God. (laughs) This is not a bad idea. Put it on your mirror. Who are you? I am the righteousness of God. It's true. And if it's true, it changes everything. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Doesn't mean that Jesus sinned. We sinned. He has not. Doesn't mean that Jesus became sinful, like he adopted our bad behaviors to see what it was like. No, he was never sinful. We are sinful. It's not about action or about nature. It's about the legal aspect of sin, guilt, and righteousness. What it does mean is that the one who never deserved death because he was perfectly righteous took on the penalty of death for those, look here, who deserved nothing but death because they could do nothing but sin. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing, life-altering, soul-scourging. The first declares that we have a new identity in Christ. We're not who we think or feel that we are. We're the righteousness of God. What might this mean? I, I, I hope you're feeling provoked. What might this mean? At, at the very least, this might mean if you are a new creation and the righteousness of God, it just might mean you don't have to prove yourself anymore. <laughs> so just go, And all that performance anxiety, just let it roll right off your shoulders. Now, I was was a greeter last week. (laughs) And um, I got to greet some people a little, you know, after the service started. Because some people don't come. I'll just leave it there. And as I was greeting people at whatever time it was out there, um, when people saw me, 
I could see it on their face shame. I, I could just see it. I mean, it's natural. I understand it. You know, like I, what's going through their mind is, oh, my gosh, I'm late and it's the pastor. <laughs> you don't have to raise your hands. We've all been there. All right. And here's what I said to a few people. This is true. You can ask them if I would tell you who they were. I won't. I said, oh, wait a minute. Excuse me. I see some shame on your shoulders. Let me just wipe that off. We don't do shame here. Because this is not about performance. Did, did Jesus say, if you get to church on time, then? No. <laughs> Never did that. I'm not encouraging tardiness. What I'm saying is that Jesus redeems us from everything, right? Shame has no power except the power we give it. And we're not going to do that anymore. So it means you can stop working so hard in your frantic attempts to try to create an identity to make yourself look like something worthwhile. Because at your core, you are worth the blood of Jesus. At your core. You are valued by God. It means you can rest in Christ. It means you don't ever have to be intimidated by anyone ever again. It means you don't ever have to be intimidated by anyone ever again. Never have to walk into a room, make the assessment, and then try to become the right person. Who is so done with that? It's really not that fun, not to mention the fact it doesn't work. Because when you change yourself to be accepted by someone, they're not accepting you. Did you ever think of that? <laughs> You're looking for acceptance. You want your true self to be known, so you change it so they'll like you, and then you realize they don't like me. They don't even know me. Whose fault is that? How in the world are we going to come to grips with this? And begin to live in this new life. The real life of Christ being lived out in the raw life of me or you. Galatians 2.20. Paul speaks for each of us in Galatians 2.20. It's like we're going back into worship. (laughs) Paul actually didn't write that song. But he would have liked it. And he probably would have sung it. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. He doesn't neglect that there is an I. He just says, I'm dead. Uh, When Jesus went to the cross, I was there with him. I can't explain this, but I know this to be true. We were with him on the cross. We were in him. Scripture says that we were chosen by God, adopted to be his children, predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus in glory before the foundations of the earth. So God, in his great grace, allowed you to go to the cross with Jesus. I I don't understand how all that works. But in him, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. That thing is done. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So a great exchange happened at the cross. 
Paul says for us, we gave our old try to get it right before God so that he'll like us, try to make our way in the world so we can be accepted life. For Jesus knew righteous, holy, no sin to condemn, utterly accepted and loved life. That's the exchange that happened on the cross. When we put our faith in Jesus, that exchange was fully realized for us. Fully realized for us. So Paul's just not playing with words. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. I got a whole new deal. I exchanged my old self for the new self. And, and when God, who knows all things, looks down, what does God see? Old self? No. Jesus. Like when, when, when we wake up and God says good morning to us, he goes, oh, there's Annie. Oh, she's the righteousness of God. Why don't we talk like God? <laughs> That's what he says. But I can't live the newly exchanged life in the old way. So Paul keeps going. Right? He says, I can only live this new life by faith. The life that I now live, he says, in the flesh. In other words, Paul isn't denying I have a life in the flesh. The flesh gets in the way. I sometimes screw up, etc., etc. Read Romans 6 and 7. Lots of stuff about that in there. The struggle, the gap, right? Paul says this new life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You know that one who loved me and gave himself for me. That's, that's Paul's new reality. He knows he lives in the flesh, but he can't live the new life in the old way. How many of us have tried over and over to live the new life in the old way? Every time I get another book and think to myself, this book is the book. <laughs> All right. 28% of you know exactly what I'm saying. This book is the, this is the one, right? Every time I do that, I try to live the new life in an old way. I'm not saying books aren't good. I'm saying the answer is not in the book. The answer is in him. It, it's, it's here already. Every time I try to fix myself and, you know, get it right and make it happen, and, you know, project the thing, fake it till you make it, all that stuff. I'm trying to live the new life in the old way. Paul says, that's not going to work. So the life I live now in the flesh right here, I live by faith. By faith. That's, that's believing the stuff you don't see. That's living as if the reality that you know is true, even though you don't see it, feel it. Paul's talking about an exchanged life. More than just what would Jesus do, it's allowing Jesus to live his life through me. It's not a denial of life. It's an embrace of life. It's not a gearing up for glory. It's a surrender to sainthood. Did you ever think about it that way? One author says this, the saint is precisely one who has no eye to protect or project. His or her eye, eye is in conscious union with the I am of God. And that's more than enough. Divine union, that's what, uh, just another way of saying being in Christ. Divine union overrides any need for self-hatred or self-rejection. 
Such people do not need to be perfectly right, and they know they can't anyway. So they just try to be in right relationship with the one who created them and the other created beings, which just simply means they live in love. They live in love. It's simple and it's true, but it's not always easy or clear. It's mystery. So I'm inviting you into a journey to take some steps in the next eight weeks into more mystery, more unknown, taking steps into places that feel uncomfortable and are not clearly relevant, I mean, not clearly understood all the time by the mind, but, re- but require the heart and the soul and the spirit renewed by the Holy Spirit to actually have understanding. We can't think our way into a new way of being. Sometimes we just have to be it. We've got to live it. We've got to walk in it. Paul says that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Colossians 2. And in Christ, you, he was thinking about you, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form in Jesus. And in Christ, you. I looked at that Greek word. I tried to find some way to think that that was someone other than me or you. But it's you and me. There's a song there. You have been brought to fullness. Scripture says that in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that in... Christ, we're a new creation, and that the secret, the mystery held by God for ages has now been revealed, and the secret, the mystery, the underlying, don't tell me one, you know what's really true, is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What might knowing and accepting and living in Christ mean to the life that you live in the flesh? Just put your notes down. As if you're taking notes, put your Bibles down, close your eyes, just listen. I'm going to ask some questions. And if you can, just in your mind's eye, um, I don't want you to turn off the light of your mind. I just want you to dim the fluorescence of your mind and turn on a few lamps in your heart. Just let the heart hear what it might mean to know and accept the reality that Christ is in us. What if it means you don't have to sin? What if it means you don't have to fear? What if it means you never have to worry again? What if it means you no longer have to protect or project yourself? What if it means you don't have to shrink back and you don't have to puff up? What if it means that you are loved just as you are now? What if it means that you don't have to live by sight and thought and anxious planning anymore? What if it means that your feelings don't define you? What if it means that your past and your accomplishments or your failure and your success do not define you? What if it means you're okay? 
What if it means that you can rest in the all-powerful, loving arms of Jesus? What if it means you don't have to prove yourself? What if it means you don't have to posture or pose anymore? What if it means you never have to look at another believer as just a human? What if it means you can look at the most wicked person in your life with the eyes of love filled with the hope of redemption? What if it means that grace is real? What if it means there's more power for life, holiness, love, and laughter than you have ever known or even dreamed of? What if Jesus is inviting us now to an ever-increasing, true exchange of our power for his, our life for his, our brokenness for his righteousness, our rejection for his acceptance, our anger for his forgiveness, our agenda for his consummate and perfect plan for the lives that he created us to live. God, I thank you that you yourself this morning are inviting us this day to a bold, risky, mysterious exploration of what it means that we're in Christ. Now, God, I ask for the gift of faith to be imparted and released in great measure among us, each one of us in our, in our own ways, So, Lord, we, um, we take your hand on the journey, and we say we trust you. Father, I thank you that you're here, present, working, speaking, acting, declaring truth among us. Holy Spirit, will you come and empower these surrendered hearts, each and every one of our hearts, to press in. To take the step forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. And Nate, do you want to come forward and play? If I could have the ministry team come forward. If you're on the ministry team, just come on up in the front. And I just want to invite you to any response that the Lord would uh, invite you into. I don't want to predetermine that response. I know for me, just honestly for me, um, I felt the gap even in writing this message. I felt the personal gap. I felt the gap this morning, four hours ago. I felt the gap between what I know to be true, what I preach, what I will preach until I die, what I long for, and the reality. And so for me, my step this morning is surrender. 
putting my hand into the hand of Jesus and say, let's go into mystery. Let's, let's, let's walk into maybe looking weird and acting funny and trusting in a way that takes me way beyond my comfort level because I'm living by faith and not by sight. If you'd like someone to, I need a couple more ministry team members right over here. So, Leanne, would you come? And any other home group, uh, transforming group leaders would be great. Thanks, Josh. If you'd like someone to pray for you, you just want to be with someone as you make a step towards Jesus, I'd invite you to come up. If you need to or want to pray with someone that you came with, awesome. Um, so last note, John and Bev Atkins, our missionaries to Roatan, are leaving on Saturday. They're going back, and uh, we want them to go with the love and the power of Jesus to give away. So, uh, John and Bev, I ask you to come up here in the front, and we'll get some people around you and just lay our hands on you and um, send you with everything God's given us. So if you'd like someone to pray, come on forward. You want to pray for the Atkins, come here. Otherwise, go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. Amen.